You're listening to the Beat Motel Zine podcast, and we need to warn you that we use words like shit, bollocks, scrotics, fuck, anarcho-syndicalist, and cunt, and we don't normally beat those words out, apart from the word cunt, because we're not total animals. Now, we know as well as you that your children can hear these words on any street in Britain, possibly any street anywhere in the world, but we also appreciate that you may not want to invite these words into your home if you have children or sensitive pets nearby whilst listening to this podcast. So listener discretion is advised. That being said, if your children aren't allergic to hearing words like fuck, shit, buttocks, or hind penis, they might learn something from listening to this podcast, although probably not because the quality of our educational content is quite poor. So there you go, fuckers, buckle in, and let's get started. I, I yeah. hate the idea that we, we, we're somehow going to offend a, a, an animal. <laughs> That's kind of more, more upsetting than the idea of offending a human, definitely. Although yeah. I've always yeah. lived with cats, and cats are offended by everything. But they're also offensive about everything as well. So that is true, right? Anyone no watching? Uh, everyone watching YouTube, can see, I am now in terrifying HD. Although the focus does keep shifting. But, oh, look at that! That is really clear. I've managed to use my phone as the camera. What an age we live in! The, eh? the Marvel, the Marvel Apple. Yeah. And Boom. As long as you, as long as you keep within its you know, sphere, it'll do everything for you if you dare to try and watch Apple TV on a, uh, on a, uh, what's, what do I have? On a, on a PC. You're fucked. Does it not work? It's a real pain in the ass because they only really, they only really trust their own, uh, devices. See, the way it works on, because I'm Apple, Apple everything now. And um, the way it works is they say, do you want, you know, do you want to watch this really cool thing on Apple TV? And you're like, fuck it, whatever. Because here you go, enjoy this. And then nine months later, you find you've been paying like £15 a month for Apple TV and haven't watched any of it, which, yeah. is what, which is what happened to me. I kept seeing things advertised and going, that looks good, like Foundation series by Asimov. Uh, you know, brilliant, well, allegedly brilliant series of sci-fi books. I read the first one. It was like reading the notes from a council meeting. It was just, mm. It's like it's like Star Wars number one, whatever, or Star Wars number four, depending on how you're counting. See, Star Wars: A a New Hope is Star Wars one. If your parents ask, if your parents, if your children ask, it's it's just it's good parenting. Yeah, the others do exist. Well, it's complicated now because some of the the prequels they've got now are actually good. (laughs) Anyway, this isn't a this isn't a podcast about Star Wars because Star Wars has got enough. Oh, just a bizarre amount of focus at the moment. I don't even know how many Star Wars things there are anymore. I, but I mean, I thought it was going through the same sort of thing of like Marvel, where they just burnt out on ideas and they weren't really producing anything worthwhile anymore. I quite uh, liked that that standalone film they did. Uh, what was it called? That was so okay. Were the one where everybody died? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and for some reason, one of the Asian actresses got a lot of shit. What well, Asian actors? Sorry for the genderizing of the term actor. Uh, got a load of shit uh, for no reason because she was actually pretty good at it. But, you know, the media will make a thing about stupid white men being stupid white men. God, how much longer? <laughs> it's it's one of the things that annoys me most in life is how stupid white people are. <laughs> <laughs> And I am othering there because it, it's clearly not all white people. But when when people with stupid opinions 
had had their their opinions confirmed by Brexit and then that fuck muppet Boris Johnson getting in again, then things got slightly shitter. But this also, as, as much as this isn't a Star Wars podcast, it's also not a political podcast. It's all, it's all clickbait, Andrew. It's all clickbait. Oh, it's, it's all clickbait. That's why we're doing the it. The whole it? logic, the whole logic of uh, all media and everything you read in the press and all this crap. And what we're doing here is clickbait. We are clickbait. I'm going to clip that and use it on, on one of these little... Do you, do you actually follow, Sam, do you follow Beat Motel on Instagram? I have given up Instagram because I want to protect my mental health a bit more than I have been doing. Very wise. Um, <laughs> I'm only on it just to spam it with clips of us. <laughs> so I, I find, yeah, I find myself sort of clicking on it too easily, and I, I just started to really hate my hate my time on it. I, <clears throat> I think any any passive passive um, lack of choice in entertainment is, is not good. So I, I like Reddit, but I'm very cautious of it and I, I don't use it every day. And I'll sort of, I'll treat it a bit like the Sunday papers, actually. I'll have a, have a flick through Reddit. But anything that just pushes things at you, like we're on TikTok as well. And again, we're just spamming it. I'm just spamming it with a, <laughs> just spamming it with Beat Motel clips. But the thing I hate most about TikTok is that you open it and it just fires stuff at you. You don't even get, I don't, Oh, there's all this shit going around in my work world at the moment about is TikTok a search engine? Of course, it's fucking not. What a stupid thing to ask. <laughs> but yeah, anything passive, whereas people who choose to listen to the Beat Motel podcast are very wise. And that's very wise a good choice. Very wise and have too much time to kill. I um, got shouted at on the walk to, to the studio today. What was and the now I'm quite used to this because if I drive an automobile, I just quite often get people shouting at me. I don't know why. I've never caused an accident or anything. I just seem to upset a lot of other road users. I thought by it was in my head. By obeying the law, but... Andrew. By obeying the law, by not being a bellend. Probably is by you know I drive at thirty miles an hour through villages and stuff like that. I've been overtaken. Even when they say so... twenty miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, I've been overtaken. In town, in Ipswich, in an urban centre, while I've been doing 30, I've been overtaken, God, well, four or five times in the last happened, few months. That, that happened to me at one point, yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, so Izzy, my daughter, and my wife have both noticed as well, yeah, I do seem to upset other road users, and for reasons they can't figure out either. And, I mean, when you and I cycled a lot, we're used to upsetting road users as a cyclist. You can go, okay, well, all, a lot of motorists seem to hate cyclists. But I walk everywhere now. I don't know how I'm upsetting motorists. This guy was on the other side of the road going the other way. And I'm literally just walking with, with my hood up, headphones in, listening to a podcast, completely in my own little world. <laughs> Leading right out of his window. I thought he was like, actually going to fall out. And like, really, like really going for it. And I was like... What the fuck have I done? How have I upset? Like, I just anyway. I kind of find that very strange. Maybe I've just got one of those faces that people want to yell. I don't know. I, I was it was snowing here the other day, and I was walking back home. It was about a forty minute walk I was taking, and um, uh, and I had my hood on as well just to protect. You know, because it's fucking cold outside. And <laughs> it's insanely cold. You, you got shouted at. Yeah, but I think it was by bored teenagers in a car 
because <laughs> it's still sinky. We're like, can't even fucking understand you. <laughs> Say what you like. Walking God, wankers. Walking wanker. <laughs> you think that's what it's about? It's all it's all just stemmed from uh, in between us, right? Before yeah. we carry on, I, I'm going to fiddle around and, and move my move my camera because I'm finding it really odd, sort of looking off to the side. So if I do it like that, I'm just doxing my own company name a bit there. It's wonky, but I don't care. Oh shit! We are. Hey, I've got to move the beat motel sign as well. That's good. Well to throw it across the room. There you go. It's gone. Right. Well, we are. We are. Gone we ought bloody. to talk about music at some point. Oh, someone's coming. Hello, Richard. How should? Oh, it's too late to hide my company name, isn't it? I, I, I mean, so I'm already linked to to the company through the podcast and all the other shit I do. So who cares? Anyway, we have been rambling for like nearly ten minutes, and we've not played any music. So should we do riff of the week? Riff of the week. Yeah. Okay, let's start with your riff. I was just looking for a comma. Right there used to be a crack house. Now it's an organic garden. Tell me what they deal when I'm black and slow. When I'm money that low when the rent rise up. White folks coming at the blue. Then it's tore that down and made that to a whole foods. Landlords looking for a payday. Now it's when the scooters where we used to slain, yay. I love it when you recommend well you have hip hop in any of your suggestions. Okay, that next, bass is lovely at the start of that. Next up is Limp Biscuit. Um oh, man. Uh, that is Danny Brown with uh I get the song title. Jenny's terrific vacation. And I always like a hip hop song which I, I find the subject matter quite easy to discern, which is gentrification. Um, mm. and it is probably one of the highlights of Danny Brown's new albums, uh, new album, um, and it's got a really, really interesting instrumental. And I always love it when, for me, the highlights of Danny Brown is when he's doing, he's he's over, he's keeping pace over a consistently shifting background, and this track does that beautifully. I've never heard of him. Who, who is he? He is, I don't think he was, he, he's a, he's sort of, I guess, sort of quasi underground, quasi mainstream um, rapper, maybe sort of, maybe, maybe not, uh, but he's never had like a big pop song, but he's certainly well known. Um, and he sort of, uh, he, he, he basically, a lot of his lyrics are very um, like everyday stuff. And he does. He, he's one of those guys who does. Who like he? He takes a lot of drugs, but instead of making these songs that make that make you feel really good and want to take a lot of drugs, it sort of puts you off taking a lot of drugs. Oh, I think you spoke to not on the podcast, but I think you we've you played me him Talking before. When, him yeah, yeah. When I came to see you, because you say that you say you were seeing him one time, and at the end of the set, he's like, "You know, I'm I've got to go to rehab now because this stuff isn't isn't fun." Oh no, that was that was that was a review I read of his. He did an album. He's done two albums. He's released two albums this year. One with a guy called JPEG Mafia who produced all of it, and it's a really that's what I uh, that's what I've played before. JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown, and this is his new. This is Danny Brown's new solo album, um, uh, and. Um, it's really, uh, it's a really sort of, it's a good piece of uh, music. But also, he did this 
uh, he did this. My favorite album of his um, was called. Uh, just get the name because it is a reference you might get. It's called Atrocity Exhibition, which is a reference to Joy Division. Uh, I thought it was going to be a reference to there's a book called Atrocity Archive by Charles Strauss, but I love that kind of hip hop. I, I absolutely love it. Any sort of hip hop that's, to, to quote a cliche, off kilter, mm. you know, slight, slightly odd. Speaking of odd hip hop, I'm <laughs> quite foolishly trying to make my way through the through the Pitchfork best 50 albums of 2023 i don't know why i never read pitchfork it just pops somebody put it on linkedin i was like yeah i'll give that a go so i'm i'm, rev- I'm reviewing them for beat motel um and they are they're on the, the same website as the beat motel podcast um and they listen to the andre 3000 flute album have you heard it i've heard of it you've heard of it yeah um well the end of the review i said you know something like the, the mark of, of whether i like an album or not is whether I will listen to it again. And I said, I will listen to this again and I might even make it all the way through. It's, I love, I absolutely adore the fact that he's made a flute album. I mean, that's just for someone so high profile and he really well, is. Yeah, they, they sold a lot of records. That, if, if we, if we didn't have to transition to, you mean play your next track? That would be a really nice transition to today's subject matter. It would, which we will reveal in a minute. But yeah, I'd say listen, listen to it. But it, it's it's directionless. I think it's interesting, but it's just just directionless. It's got no, there's no sort of thread running through it other than it's interesting and it's not lol. I've got a flute. He, he <laughs> takes it seriously. It, it's it's. I love the fact it's happened. I think more than anything else, I love the fact it happened. That That's my stronger feeling on it. Yeah. It, it was sort of like, I, I mean, that's most of the, not most of the, the, the media that I've read around it has basically been, wow, this is a pretty left field thing for someone so high profile to do. And it's sort of, and the, the amount of good reviews it's got always highlights to me, and this is why I sort of semi-hate this sort of stuff, highlights to me how willing people are to artists they like rather than to go and look for the thing the artist themselves is um, being inspired by. That's really interesting. Um, I think there's a better chance of... of bands or people like this like doing this kind of thing opening doorways to other music mm. yeah i see what you mean it's not it's not looking at a genre but it might help you explore a genre i mean it's it's weird i mean i i think it's directionless cad my, my bandmate instead i'm just going to say we packed out a quite a large venue in ipswich on saturday which is very nice um cad my bandmate absolutely adores it thinks it's one of the best things she's ever heard and i sort of demur to her on some things because her, her musical ability and skill is phenomenal. So it might be one of those things. If you're a really good musician, you might be able to hear loads of stuff in it that is really appealing. But if you're just a dumbass bassist like me, <laughs> you might not spot it. So let's go on to my, uh, my riff of the week. Oh, I went Suffolk then for a moment.
Woo! Um, that's Ghost of a Thousand. That's not new at all. That's I'm, I should have looked it up, but I think it might be like 2006, possibly. Brighton Band, 2004, oh, 2007, that album. And I looked it up because you played me... Oh shit! I was going to say MIA. What are they called? You played me a band last week that was that were kind of hardcore. Oh, uh, get some, get some. Yeah, listen to get some, and then just sort of got sort of rem- it reminded me so much of of that kind of like mid two thousands hardcore. Mm, I just mm, had to go mm, and listen to some, and I forgot how much I loved that out. Al- that goes to a thousand album. Oh. It's just to, I love the vocals. How the hell do you sing like that? I mean, oh, consistently I- and on tour. We we in my first band we at one point we were trialing singers and we got a guy who was in like metalcore bands and I'd never sort of met someone who I'd never sort of hung out with these sort of growlers and you know grunters and all these sort of <laughs> growlers and shriekers growlers shriekers and grunters um, <laughs> is the, title, the title of my next book about extreme singers uh, growlers sorry. <laughs> And um... <laughs> <laughs> I always think, I always think there's, there's a joke that whenever I hear growl, I'm always reminded of a joke I read. I might have been one of those viz viz comic things, and it just <laughs> if Prince Charles was really born with a silver spoon in his mouth, did it scratch the queen the queen's growler on the way out? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Just... No wonder he was sent away to receive no love. Um, uh, was it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically this guy. This guy he hadn't trained his voice whatsoever, and so he was literally just just being as brutal on his vocal cords, and he would cough up blood. Oh, no. there is a way to do it. I know, I know yeah. there is like technique. Uh, yeah. and I'd, I'd love. To, I've looked it up and tried to figure it out because there's. I mean, um, the ship has sailed on me singing nicely in anything. But if I can at least be a growler. <laughs> <laughs> you already caught you already are a bit of a growler, Andrew. Oh dear. Face like Is this the acceptable version of uh, <laughs> the other word we're not allowed to say? Yeah, don't say that other word. Although I was listening to this this other podcast today. How is it not less how is it not more offensive? Um, I think oh, growler is probably more offensive than that word because it's I, I, it's quite it's quite it's not exactly an overwhelmingly positive word, but I'm I'm happy using it in the context of a dead monarch. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, so I was listening to a podcast called I think it's called We Dig It again. I, I can't actually I can check because I can check on on the podcast app on my Mac, but it's a podcast by. Um, yeah, We Dig Music is called, and it's a podcast by um, a couple of people travelled from Brighton, not Brighton, Blackpool, to come see uh, These Are End Times at the weekend, and they do a podcast, and I listen to it today. Each episode's like two and a half hours long. It's wow. And um, it's quite fun. They This one, they, they, I'll put a link in the show notes, but they, they, pick, they picked a year and picked a load of albums from that year, and they're discussing them and then sort of rating them. It's really cool, but they say that mm. word that we don't say all the time. It's just so I I was leaving it out because I thought for like banning you know getting in trouble with the the, the uh, puritanical <laughs> Apple Apple algorithm, but maybe maybe we can say it, but let's not say it now because I haven't got time to edit this episode and take out those words. 
Right, so we, we need to move on. We're, we are, we are a third of the way through the episode and we haven't even, haven't even talked about the topic yet. It's so, pretty standard. As, as every week, do you want to tell me what, how you interpreted the topic and then I'll tell you how I fucked it up and got it wrong? Well, I, I, I wanted to discuss sort of like people who had a creative peak and then they did something really different afterwards and or they changed their sound substantially after that creative peak um oh that's better than what i'd have got <laughs> uh for better or worse i have to say uh and um yeah it, it presented a bit of a challenge where did you go with it well i think i'll i'll leave titling this episode up to you because the title i've got is really really cranky it's difficult albums after a hit so I, I was thinking, same thing, like a band breakthrough album, and, and very much doing that rather than being a difficult second album because that's just such mm. a, a thing in discussion. Oh, yeah, we'll discuss cliches. I'll, I'll hug a cliche, definitely. But I was looking for after like commercial peaks, or yeah. mostly after commercial peaks, although it's not all after commercial peaks. There's some really surprising, really surprising examples. Let's play, let's play your first, and I think when you – when you sent through the list of songs, when I saw this at the top, I thought, no, that can't be the band I think it is. There must be another band with the same name. And this is the most surprising thing you've ever sent me. I was, oh. seeing, I, was, I was seeing if, if I could get the, the phone to shift focus. So how do you feel about this band? This band is, of course, the, the Scouse band Space, and the song is There's No You. How do I feel about the band? They were in a time of, of landfill indie bands. They They were interesting. At the time, I, I was going through some sort of difficult music stage that... I'm probably about a third of the way through now. So their the strength of their songs, their singles were brutally strong. For me, they were like Supergrass, and I liked early Supergrass, but they were like Supergrass, but somehow sort of more intelligent, more sort of well thought out and a bit more rounded. But the, the singles, their hit singles off their first album were just stonkers. I, well, think, uh, I think I bought the album. I can't really remember. Spiders. Uh, yeah, I, I love their first album, Spiders. Absolutely. I was what? Uh, it came out in 96, something like I'm that. I'm so surprised. I am really so surprised. And I was 13, 12, 13 at the time, and just sort of becoming, you know, sort of coming into my musical sort of world. And the you know the songs I agree the songs they're incredible the, the songs in the first album are incredibly strong, and then the second and I was like wow and it obviously made a bit of a hit and then their second album came out, uh, Tin Angels, and um, I still have the tin version I think to my knowledge that God, they must they must box, regret that sorry they must regret well, putting the second album in a tin they must have lost any money they were going to make by doing that well well i can them them and uh 
Pill, I think, are the only bands who have done it, really. It's a bad um, idea. <laughs> and um, it's like the first album is like, I can see like that sort of pop rock, but they also have a element of, uh, he's a bit of a, he's a much more sort of, uh, I don't know. He's got a he's got a very strong Scouse accent, whilst at the same time having a very a great sense of like a not at the same time. Not to say that the Scouse accent doesn't have a great sense of melody, but his sense of melody is something that is really pronounced and very very in the front. The singer's uh, sense of melody and the second album they sort of threw away the rock almost completely, and they sort of lent into this sort of quite loungy. Sort of, it's like they'd uh, they'd gone from early Elvis to late Elvis in the blink of an eye. Wow, that's a good way of describing it. I think they're still going. They're absolutely yeah. They, they, they got back together. I, this got me back into listening to them. I've listened to a few of their last albums, and they're really they're just great songwriters. They're still going. Oh, right. Still, still and, strong. Then, yeah, they're still going, and they explore quite a lot of musical varieties within their musician you know sort of their songwriting and they but they make it fit their own sound very well like i think one of their last albums went a bit of 80s um with the synths and stuff whereas their early sort of stuff was all the synths was a bit uh retro futuristic um hence tin angels and sort of robots and stuff like this and the lyrics are great the lyrics are always really fat, sort of fascinating because it's it's like um snapshots of sort of English suburban white life in the in the north, you know. So what your neighbours doing? Twerking, you know, curtain twitches are are a big part of I think the guy's sort of lyrical repertoire. And um, yeah, the second album just sort of they went from this rock band to this sort of loungy band, and it was like, what the fuck's going on? And it one of the mo- one of the things that annoys me the most about their set. I like the second album, but the uh, first single is called Avenging Angels. Yeah. And angels, angels, kick ass angels. Yeah. It, they, the chorus comes in far too early. They should have done a double verse. <laughs> the chorus is, the verse is too short and you it really sort, annoys me. You get that sort of thing on, I've always thought you get that sort of thing on bands' debut albums if they're on a fairly big label and it's just A&R pressure. It's well, just, what happened? Get, get, get to the chorus. What I understand, I so I did a bit of reading around because I didn't Ooh, look them up. You really. did research. You did research, did research for the podcast, bloody a hell. little, a little bit, a little bit. But apparently, I just got names. You sat on the crapper with your phone, going, "Oh, we're recording in a bit. I probably ought to have a look." <laughs> Which hand did I wipe with? Um, <laughs> I didn't wipe with your phone by accident. <laughs> uh, probably, probably wouldn't help the amount of bacteria on the screen, um, but. Uh, so apparently that the, the opposite happened. So they had this first album that was a surprise how big they got on it. And then the A&R pressure to get bigger came down on them. And oh, they, really? They buckled a little bit. Um, and uh, because they had that big single with Carrie's Matthews about Tom Jones. And oh, then the God, sing- yeah. And then the singer was on Tom Jones's album as well. That's a hell of a trajectory, isn't it? Yeah. And then... They had they recorded on around two thousand. They recorded an album with Edwin Collins, which was shelved. Oh no! I was going to say that makes total sense if you sort of think, think about the way they sound. It almost sounds like 
sometimes I, I like it when there's really bizarre rumors around a band when they start. Like um, there was a rumor that when uh, the Killers started, there was a rumor that all their songs were written by is it Don Henley from the Eagles. Oh right. Because they just like you know think, or maybe he's too old. He's just put together a band. He's writing the songs in like early space. You, yeah, the, the, Edwin Collins not a million miles away from songwriting style and whatever. That makes no, total sense. No. And um, um, so after Angels, they sort of got dropped by that major label. And um, since they've sort of got back together, uh, they've been they've sort of gone much more back to that first album sound. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Um, Right, we, we're going to have to move on. I've, I've got, I've got a, a meeting I can't avoid, and I'm going to just have to be unprofessional and check my calendar because I'm pretty sure it's in half an hour. But yes, half an hour that's fine. Right, so <laughs> um, as per usual, you've got a lovely, eloquent first suggestion that nicely summarises a lot of things that, that about the theme of the show, and I've just done something complete opposite. Can you hear all this fucking banging around? It is insane. It's making the floor shake here. Anyway, so here's, here's <laughs> I wanted to go for an angle. Of, I was trying to think of bands that have tried to deliberately fuck up their career. Mm. With their, oh, with that's their good. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Go on, Sam. Can you guess who that was? Uh, Foo Fighters. That's the Nirvanas. The Nirvanas. Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Cobain and the Nirvanas. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, by In Utero, um, and I've never really figured it out because at the time I can remember reading reviews, people saying that Kurt Cobain quite deliberately wanted to follow a similar trajectory to the Beastie Boys. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, I know shit all about the Beastie Boys and I need to look up more. No, because they had a surprise, like, massive hit. You know, Fight for Your Right to Party was was astronomical, but then the album after was not just a rehash of that. It was actually, was it Paul's Boutique, the second yeah. album? So it was something that was just, whoa, and wasn't as well ex- you know, accepted by the public and was... Sort of scene. So I often thought Nirvana were trying to do that, but then if you get Steve Albini in, you're not trying to make a shit album. Well, the thing is that I don't. I never. I personally never understood how people find Inutero so challenging, because I maybe it's because how I came to those albums. So I was probably in a way I was aware of probably. um, in utero before I was never mind because oh, wow. of my age and uh, and and of the fickleness of MTV playlists in the day and um, I can see it's a harsher album but I can certainly hear the same band whereas if you compare uh, and and like I understand that it it was like a, a reaction to the immense, you know, partly a reaction to the immense popularity of Nevermind, um, which was probably very overwhelming, particularly for the you know people at the centre of it. Um, 
but at the other side of the aspect, there is definitely a continuation. And you can sort of say, you know, I understood that Nevermind was them going, okay, well, if we're going to have this money, we might as well sort of make as much of a pop record as we can make a pop record. And then going, well, fuck it, we've done that, so let's just do what we actually do. Because, you know, you can certainly... The, the Sonics, the production is very different, but it's not... It's not challenging in the way that if they had done like a followed up Nevermind with, um, with you know, I don't know, like an analog version of Metal Machine, you know, Lou Reed album. It's not that, is it? I nearly chose Metal Machine, but I don't think you can really say that Lou Reed had a hit before it, particularly. <laughs> so, um, when, when I first met my wife, we lived, um, well, she lived in some nurses' flats. I just went there and stopped going home. She flushed my copy of In Utero down the toilet. Why? Because everyone else in the flat hated it so much. They found it completely unlistenable, which is so weird to think back. I didn't think, I loved it. I, I liked it. I mean, Nevermind was, was such a kind of, whoa. You know, everybody was really blindsided when that came along regardless of what genre of music you're into, it was the songs was, I'm not going to start going on about how great Nevermind was, but in utero, I found much, much more exciting. That yeah. it, it, it opened my mind to a lot of far noisier music. I mean, l- listening back now, it's hardly, it's hardly challenging music really. It's, it's not, but yeah, it, it got flushed. <laughs> it's, you know, but it's basically the same band, except on Nevermind, F things, really well sort of engineered and very, it's a very precise album and in utero it, everything's just peaking and it sounds like everything's peaking and it sounds yeah i i love that album i don't I, I just i just don't get why some people say it's so challenging and so different because at the heart of it there are still a handful of amazing pop songs Oh God! So some of the songs I'm not saying I like it. I really like it, but some of it is so strong, and there, there's so much some banging around here. It sounds like there's flooring. They're laying flooring out there. It sounds like there's about ten apes doing it. Um, I can remember looking through through the tape, you know, the tape uh, artwork, and reading the lyrics and going, "Fuck, this guy is really unhappy." <laughs> you know, it was so it was so soul bearing at the time but we need to move on and we're gonna play your next song which i'm gonna say is another real surprise If you had prepared the clips for this episode, I would not be able to guess who that was. Who was that? No chance. That was the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, they actually are called the Smashing Pumpkins. Are they the Smashing Pumpkins? Smashing Pumpkins, and the song is called Pug. Which album's that off? That's from. uh, Is the album called A Door? I think it's the album called. It's called A Door. Is that the one after? Gear. Melancholy in the Infinite Sadness. Oh, yeah. That that the rise of that album really surprised me at the time because well, I'd, I'd heard a couple of songs off Gish like Siva 
and kind of went at the time i wasn't really into metal as i saw them at the time but then they that melancholy album was just everywhere saturation yeah i mean and then and then they lost they basically lost their drummer who's uh sort of uh, amazing, amazing musician. If we ever talk, if we ever get to the point where we talk about our favourite drum fills, he'll probably fill every single one of my choices. Uh, and we might do that. Might we? It's a good idea. I'm going to make a note of that because I like that as an idea. Um, but so Jimmy Chamberlain, they sort of lost him to I think heroin for yeah, a bit. He was, and they sort of, they they sort of Billy Corgan created an album that was really like low key like there's no big explosions and it was and it was a really interesting sonic project and um yeah it was uh it it was um a really interesting you know sort of thing way to follow up okay you've made this double album and it's one of the biggest albums of the decade and so you're going to follow up this double rock album opus thing and you're going to just, and you're going to do exactly what we're talking about. You're going to go in a completely different direction. Almost. I'd love to hear the discussions that happen with that with A&R when, when bands do things like this. Because... Well, he could probably do what he wanted by that point. Yeah, there must come a point where you've made so much money. Especially if it's around re-signing or whatever. So if you signed a two or three album deal and, and you're due to make another album, you probably have got quite a bit of freedom, haven't you? You just go it's somewhere a... else. It's like remortgaging when you've uh, you've got a bit more money in the bank, um, and uh, yeah, it, it, I I mean I love the I I never got into Gish so much, but I really love um, Siamese Dreams and Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. They're two of my favorite albums of the nineties, and um, and then Avrador came along, and I was and I I like it as an album. I think it's not a I think it's underrated, but it's such a weird thing to do immediately after such commercial success i think i'm gonna to have to revisit them there's something that put me off billy corbin and i can't remember what it is he's a bit of a tit oh all right with people being a bit of a tit if, if they're a bit of a if they're unpleasant with him like knowingly being buzzed. oh i meant to tell you i should probably this is more um i'm going to mention it on the podcast but there's a a really good documentary about hypnosis hypnosis the um, people who did the no not the not the woo woo the people who did all, all the album covers in the 60 late 60s early 70s oh nice there's a documentary on them called squaring the circle it's on netflix at the moment that is just emma and i watched it last night and it's brilliant really good i was really surprised how how good it was but one of the two guys from hypnosis had was legendarily an asshole <laughs> like, very very difficult to work with but you've got all these people like dave gilmore saying how much he loved him so you know may- maybe i don't know i'm not going to start going on about billy cool let's have another song sir we'd have to listen to these people banging the fucking floor out there Want to guess? No, <laughs> Stone Roses.
um i really thought long and hard about whether to include this band because the first album wasn't a hit i mean it 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 grew and gained an an unbelievable amount of momentum but still very underground then they signed to geffen for like 52 million after a five and a half year long legal battle with their previous label and released an album which i've said many times on this podcast is has it's awful I tried to choose the most awful point and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. So I chose something that I think is actually good. They like a dance music track with live instruments that I think is pretty decent. But I remembered while I was making the clips that uh, I really like Blue Tones, band Blue Tones, like Space. I think they've been, they've stayed interesting. They've not had like tons of commercial success, but all the albums are really, really good. And back when this album came out, Blue Tones used to do a fanzine because a lot of bands did back in the 90s. You, you would still go to a gig, and on the merch table, there'd be a fanzine that they'd made. And I can remember reading the fanzine, and, and the singer, Mark Mark Morris of, of the Blue Tones, basically saying, just talking about how terrible the album was, and really going into depth. And about three years ago, Mark Morris was playing at Ipswich Beer Festival. And we had loads of people you know, drinking beer and whatever, and he was up there with an acoustic guitar, you know, doing songs which i think must be a tough crowd so i spoke to him afterwards and i said oh yeah thanks for ruining the second stone roses album for me <laughs> and he just looked at me and i thought shit i've given him no context for that at all <laughs> absolutely not he was an absolute gent about it i then sort of said no no you, you did a fanzine and he was like he was like smiling and nodding politely and i think probably thinking i hope this drunk person wanders off soon <laughs> that's why it's a tough crowd <laughs> Yeah, but, but the second Stone Rose album, I've talked about it enough before, but I, I, I decided I had to put it in the list because it's a band that was completely overwhelmed by the weight of expectation and I think lacked a real direction to back it up. So let's not talk about Stone Rose anymore. Uh, let's, do you know, I was surprised by this suggestion by you as well. And then I was surprised that I actually kind of liked it. That's how it is. It's like trombone. Well, they have so many people. They have to give them all different sections. It's the Slipknots. The Slipknots, yes. The Um, Slipknots with uh, people equal shit. Um, And this is a weird selection for me, but I realised something. that I remember when when Slipknot first came out, I bought the album. I was like a teenage metalhead, like all teenage metalheads. Uh, or a lot of us in the in the late nineties. Um, I didn't really know there was an underground, so Slipknot introduced me to a lot of the more extreme stuff going. They were heavier than your average new metal band, let's say. I've always been amazed how how massive they are for how extreme they are. Well, the thing is that the first album is very much within like a like the heavier end of new metal slash sort of towards sort of groove metal the stuff that you know sort of the genre uh very much associated with pantera uh sort of mid-paced you know groovy riffs 
but you know, within that sort of world, and they had this massive, massive, I don't know how big that first album was, but this massive album, they decided to, to, to double down on their success by going more extreme. And, and since then, they've introduced more things like, you know, there's, as, as far as I understand, as far as I can figure out, there's more singing on their first album than their second album, which is the opposite directory of almost every other band who sort of goes, we're going to tone down the, the screaming and go more melodic. They sort of went, no, we're, we're, we're going to up the ante on everything, uh, apart from the melody bit. We're going to go more and more. And I, by that point, I had sort of dismissed them as a gimmick. Yeah, because there I, is a certain, there's a certain gimmick to them which I find quite I find very grating this whole mask thing um, and the whole nine members thing. Um, I've done both of those things in bands. I just realised. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't mind them when they're done with the evidence. I mean, the, maybe you haven't done the members thing. You know, when you're in a ska band. Um, <laughs> no, End Times had nine members at one point. But you know, I don't, I don't mind the big numbers thing. But there was a point they made about the big numbers thing, and everybody sort of, you know, you have three percussionists. One of them was on a dustbin. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big band thing just reminded me that Mark Radcliffe, who um, anyone not in the UK, he's always a long-running DJ. He's always been kind of on the alternative side of things. In his autobiography, he wrote about. He said that in, in the early eighties with ska bands. Um, he's Noddy Holder's drummer now, anyway. Um, he said, Scar bands, he said he was in a Scar band that got so big that they they started off doing like substitutions, like a football team was. Then the, 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 his Scar band got even bigger to the point they could play in two different towns on the same night at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I imagine trying to, you know, book rehearsals for a Scar band would be a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, like, hats off to Slipknot. Even though I've dismissed them, and I should, and I haven't really listened to that album, you know, since it first came out, they didn't. They went the opposite direction, and since then they've gone. They've had like moments of melody, but instead of sort of going melodic, they introduced like chromatic death metal riffs, and it's like, uh, and they went bigger. You know, it's like it is again. It's that sort of thing that Nirvana did of like. And or it's that thing that um, uh, what's he called from Outcast has recent but recently done Andre Two Thousand. Hmm. Um, it's sort of that thing of like you have a platform and you introduce an extreme version, extreme thing to that platform, and people and all of a sudden the people have bought into your your brand or your sort of your thing. Find a way of accepting it. Rather than going, oh no, that they've gone a bit, they've gone a bit far. I, I, I will still struggle to to, to go back and, and reassess Slipknot in an objective way. When I had my record shop, the only kids that ever gave us any shit were kids wearing Slipknot t-shirts, and it, in Ipswich at least, seeing someone in a Slipknot t-shirt was almost a. You could almost tell what they'd be like and what their attitudes was. Uh, it was a time in my life where I was very much into the anarcho punk side of things, which everything is so much about being a good human being <laughs> that mm -hmm. I couldn't find, I could not listen to music that was so overtly negative. And I can remember Corey, is it Corey Taylor? Yeah. Yeah. Him saying the only reason he started the band is to make the rest of the world as hateful as he is. 
and I was just like, I just want no part of that whatsoever. Now I understand metal better, and I'm kind of like, well, it's all part of the pantomime. Listen, yeah, might yeah. mean it. But I mean, I think that's also the thing that irks me about it is that, and this is the thing that pisses me off continuously about sort of a lot of uh, metal is that it's just like, where's like I, I just I. Maybe this is my insecurity, but I need sometimes need a knowing wink. Yeah, go oh, gotcha. Oh my, that you have just summarised pretty much everything about metal. <laughs> that that's amazing. You know, it's like you guys know. I mean, it's a, it really is the thing. I, I trust punks to know that they're being ridiculous. I don't trust metalheads to know that they're being ridiculous. No, no, that that it it. it it troubles me. I'm really sorry, Sam, but we have, we have got to hammer on. So yeah, go, 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 Have a guess who that was? Sounded very Pink Floydy. It did actually. <laughs> Funny you say it's not Pink Floyd. Um, it's Suede. Oh, it's, it's one of my favourite bits from their second album, Dogman Star. And that that lift, I, I want to play that that lift up because it comes after quite a, a pronounced long noodly bit. But that that from the second Suede, like second Suede album, it kind of it kind of did do well. I mean, Suede have never had an album that, that hasn't done well, but. The first album was so had this real aggressiveness to it, which I really like. Real sort of like David angry David Bowie aggressiveness. But the second album, the band was imploding. Having read now read Brad Anderson, the singer's book, it's amazing they ever released the second album, ever got got through the recording process, because they were a band who were actively hating each other by then and had weirdly fallen out with Ed Buller, the, the producer. And yet he was still insisting on sticking around. So I, I put that in as a choice just because that album, which the band themselves don't like, has some great moments in spite of that. Mm, 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 mm. It's a real victory through adversity kind of thing from a creative side. But, you know, sometimes those albums, those those albums where you feel like the musicians are going in their own different directions can be the best because... You know, there's a like a tension in the recording of it. You know, the the, the last the last Spaceman Three out. You heard of Spaceman Three? You've mentioned them a few times. Yeah, the last Spaceman Three album. Um, basically, one writer got one half of the record, and the other writer got the other half of the record. So it is two different records. It's literally two different records with different band members and everything. And then, um, you know, one of them became spiritualized. Right. I'm I'm really intrigued by this next one, so I'm going to play it. Am I crying almost all the time? Stories I heard about love Oh, how they praise it up to the ceiling Now that I'm in love Why am I not? Go on, who's that? Tell us, tell us who it is. That's Vic, Vic Goddard and the Subway Sect. And 
uh, that is the song Hey Now, I'm In Love. Brilliant timing for you choosing this. Uh, there's a, a podcast I like called Just Three Lads, which surprisingly is mm. American with a title like that. And I'm halfway through an episode they've done called Life After Punk. So they've mm. done a theme where it's who completely changed or, or had a, a, a radical shift who, who started in punk. So there's the obvious ones like, um, well, they do, I'm not going to even bother. But they talk at length about Vic Goddard. And I didn't, un- you, you've talked about it before, but I didn't really understand his trajectory. That I knew he'd done swing, but I didn't realize how sort of soon after his other stuff it was. And it's well, the same band, and it's all written by him. <laughs> yeah, and and the next album's even weirder because he he got like a, um, so, and this is all he so this, they had, this was on the the previous singles they'd released was on Rough Trade Records, which isn't massive, but they you know it's big, it's a bit it was a big in the day, and then they signed with MCA Records. Um, MCA really? Yeah. And um, then after this album, they released, he recorded an album called Trouble with a group of London jazz musicians. But I love the fact they're all called Subway Sect. Yeah. Uh, so I, well, I think is- their last one was maybe a bit glowed. Um, yeah. And, but I, I it's like, you, he made, yeah, so he was also, he was one of Randy Rhodes' uh, Randy Rhodes, Bernie oh, Rhodes. I could say Randy Rhodes from. Oh, uh, Bernie Rhodes, who was the Clash uh, manager, signed up um, to to push Vic Goddard, and um, yeah, so they went from they but they went incredibly quickly from like teenage punk rock, um, early punk rock stuff to swing, and. A bit flat, I'd say. Not the most like rounded sort of jazz music ever. But what the fucking what the fuck? Well, at least it existed, right? The next the next song, I'm going to announce it, and then we'll, we'll play out to this. Um, I don't think it needs any explanation at all. This is um, "Who Killed Bambi" from the great rock and roll swindle by the Sex Pistols. Sam, thank you very much, listeners. Thank you very much. Love you dearly. Bye. <laughs> Oh, we can't just stop on that, can we? Just, just give me your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I, I take offence that is that that must be considered a, a forbidden music in your house. It's forbidden music for me. Yeah, it's fucking awful. Ed Tudor Pole, isn't it? Uh, from um, <laughs> Swords of a Thousand Men, bloke. I gotta go. Love you, Sam. Bye. Love you. Have a good meeting. <laughs>